Welcome back to another episode of Let's Face the Facts. I'm your host. My name is David Almeida. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I sit down with an actor or artist friend. We watch an episode of the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Then I hit record. We talk about the show and anything and everything else we can think of that might or might not be related. My guest this week is Austin Paz. Austin performs at various venues in the area. He does modeling, body paint work, burlesque, in addition to being an actor and a dancer. And more importantly, he lives across the hall. Yeah, he rents a room for me. He lives here. Yeah. In fact, uh, the year before last, I had been gestating the idea of doing a podcast for a while. And Austin very thoughtfully bought me a blue snowball ice professional microphone for a Christmas gift. That was very sweet. And then as luck would have it, just a couple months later, a friend of mine called me with an emergency voiceover job and was like, okay, I don't know when or if I can bring you in. Is there any chance you can record this at home and get the files shipped off this afternoon? And I was like, yes, I can. I used that microphone, got the job done, and... With the money I made, I bought another microphone, and the rest, as they say, is podcast history that nobody really probably ever cared about. Anywho, Austin and I watched Season 3, Episode 6. The title was Give and Take, and its original air date was December 2nd, 1981. I'm ready to jump on in. I hope you are too. Let's face the facts with Austin Paz. Hello, Austin Paz. Hi. Welcome to my grand room. <laughs> oh, it's yours. Oh, yeah. you know what? Yes. Yeah. And and don't you forget it. That's true. Yeah. A lot of people aren't aware of you and that you're here. Yeah. No, people don't know that um, I'm uh, most of the times uh, in the behind the scenes. Um, I'm usually shirtless. Austin lives here. Austin lives with me. Austin is actually not just an artist friend. He's actually a friend friend, one of my closest friends. And uh, I figured it was high time we actually get you on the show for reasons we will discuss coming up. Yeah. But no. not right now. We'll, we'll explain now why the time was ripe for this to happen. But, um, and yes. it's actually, it's, it's great because uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a very special one. Is it? Is it? Yeah. We, we've had very special ones. This yeah. one is, this one's special. It's okay. It's, um, it was season three, episode six. And it is entitled Give and Take. And um, it was first broadcast in late 1981, which was long, long before you were born. Yeah. You are you are the second millennial we're having on the show. Yeah. And honestly, I think there needs to be more. Um, hey, I, I would too, but... You, you know, you, you can only have so many millennial friends. Yeah. You know, they're they're out. They're so busy out in the world being lazy and doing nothing and contributing nothing. It's true. According to according to the boomers anyway. So uh, you millennials are so busy fucking up everything that was already fucked up when it was handed to you. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, Wesley beat you just by a few months. You hold I think you are the second youngest person I've ever had on the show. That's true. And as far as having people significantly younger than me, that is not a habit I wish to continue. <laughs> so we, we've watched this episode, and um, as I always like to start these, would you please, my guest, Austin Paz, would you please give us a 
one to two sentence synopsis of this episode. I would say Mrs. Garrett uh, contemplates leaving boarding school due to financial troubles. Oh, there you go. And no spoilers. Yeah. Very nice. Well done. That's a good one. Yes. To me, the subtitle of this show should be, Would Somebody Please Read the Room? (laughs) Would Somebody Please Read the Room? Because there is so much not paying attention to basic, simple, emotional, social cues throughout this episode. And I, I typically don't preface the the synopsis with this, but it's like, oh my God, we are going to get so much of this and it is so fucking frustrating. Because <laughs> the show typically the, the show typically doesn't rely on that and only on a few occasions. Well, I shouldn't say that. It has fallen into this trap before, but uh, wow. This episode, it is a epidemic here um so the very first image of the episode we come into mrs garrett looking straight into the camera and she is rehearsing arguing her case with mr parker who is the headmaster of the school we have met him once before this is his second appearance now and so she's going into all the extracurricular things that she does for the school as far as extra luncheons and picnics. And we had heard, I, I'm trying to remember earlier when we were dealing with Mr. Parker, uh, she already, we've already established her relationship with Mr. Parker was her trying to convince him to allocate more money so they could upgrade their equipment in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And that was in the previous time, that was the... Um, the 2D getting drunk episode. So we are which in... I was I was around for. Did I you w- watch that with us? I watched that one. Okay, because that's when. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was in the kitchen most of the time eating all the uh, the 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 smorgasbord that we had put out. <laughs> which I, I will have to say, um, I'm a guest on the show. D- do I do I get dinner? Wow. I just thought it was a thing that you guests on the show get dinners. So I didn't. Well, get we one. were gonna go to dinner and maybe a movie, but I'm not so sure now. <laughs> you don't ask for it. <laughs> you wait till it is offered to you. That's true. It's called manners. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we, we do need to interject that Austin is often around when I'm recording this with my other guests. So he's been watching many of these episodes kind of by osmosis. But yeah, no, she's, uh, what is it? She's rehearsing. She's rehearsing. That's it. So she's clearly planning to... Uh, she she stops herself at one point mid-sentence and says, ooh, that's good. I have to write that down. I have to remember it. So she's rehearsing, kind of planning out what she's going to say. Clearly, it's one of those meetings. And um, uh, no sooner does she go to write something down, and in comes Blair. Blair is like, Mrs. Garrett, there's a luncheon happening for the art club, and I have volunteered to do it, but I'm going to need your help. And Mrs. Garrett's like, well, um, I can't talk about it now. A little bit busy. And she says, Mrs. Garrett, this is important. And I love this joke. It's an honor and a responsibility. It's a great honor and a great responsibility to host the luncheon. And Mrs. Garrett says, yeah, you get the honor and I get the responsibility. (laughs) Fuck yeah, she's right. Um, But trying to read the room here. Mrs. Garrett is saying, I'm busy. I need to do something else. And Blair's like, well, I want to serve capons. And I want to do this. And I want to do that. And Mrs. Garrett's like, yeah, Blair, shut up. 
I'm about to leave because I have a meeting. In comes Joe. Joe, hey, Mrs. Garrett, there's a tire sale and I need a new tire for my bike. So uh, could you drive me to town so I could get that? Joe, I'm in the middle of something. Natalie comes in. Mrs. Garrett, I have two different editorials I need to run in the paper and I need you to tell me which one you think I should run. I'm leaving right now, Natalie, to go to Mr. Parker. And then in comes Tootie. Tootie, I have this, this piece of fabric. I don't even know what the fuck it is. It's a piece of fabric for home at class, and I need you to help me pin it. It will just take a few minutes. And Mrs. Garrett says, find someone else to be your dummy. And all of this incredible, I need this, I need that. And Mrs. Garrett is like, she's not being subtle in saying, I'm in the middle of something. I am leaving. I have a meeting. And then the girls get all caught up in each other with, well, I need her more than you do. Well, I was here first. Well, no, you weren't. And in the course of them getting into this little tiff, Mrs. Garrett slips out. And then they look up and they're like, well, wait a minute, where'd she go? And then the punchline to the scene, Blair's like, whoa, that was downright rude. <laughs> now, did, uh, have you ever done a Mrs. Garrett impression for me? No, I don't. You can let it happen organically. Yeah, I would. I'll do it a little bit later when it when it happens. But this scene was giving me a lot of anxiety, though, just simply because I always feel for like mother characters, Mm -hmm. like and not not just like this TV show, but just other ones. Yeah, and or if you see a mom like on the side of like not the side of the street, but just around, (laughs) and 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 like about yeah, and you see her kids like just like tugging at her and pulling at her, and while she's like doing something, I'm always like, oh, that poor mom. I I I don't I. Motherhood is not for me. No. Yeah. No. I don't think I should be and you know why? responsible for any sort of children. Yeah. It's, it's that millennial thing again. Yeah. Responsibility. Yeah. I don't know. Just just pointing that out. Um, so, yes. So I, I think we can all empathize with Mrs. Garrett there because the girls are clearly not paying any attention to Mrs. Garrett and they're being very, very self-centered. And we do explicitly state that later. It's not like the TV show is doing this in a vacuum. But with that being the absolute intent of this scene, the sitcom writing really amped up the, hey, Mrs. Garrett, I need something. No, another person walks in the room. Hey, Mrs. Garrett, I need something. This building of energy of... Yeah, it was was executed really well. Momentum and all that. Yeah, it was. So then our next scene, we're in Mr. Parker's office. And um, Mr. Parker is played by the same actor we met before. I forget his name. It doesn't matter. Um, as I have, I'm not sure I mentioned this before, but uh, he's rocking some serious guy liner. I'm, oh, my gosh. Okay. I was, I'm, it wasn't just me. I was like, what is with his eyes? <laughs> and he, he kind of almost looks like um, the $6 million man. <laughs> Like, oh. like toy, like toys, like, it, like his hairs, like the, that exact. Yeah, he still, and it's 81, but he still has his 79 I was going to say, like, that's very 70s. Like, Yeah, no, I, I see where you think he's got a, like a Lee Major's dad kind of a, yeah. a vibe. Because he's not an unattractive man, but he's graying. And I think for the sake of graying as your eyebrows get gray and stuff, somebody, we've talked about how the makeup in this show he's is. He's also very orange. <laughs> And yeah, the makeup on the show for the girls has not really improved since last season. And there are a couple of instances here where you're like, God, they're like, they've got more makeup on than Zsa Zsa did last (laughs) season. Jesus. And it's like, ooh, they really have, they're still doing that. And no one has noticed that you don't need to 
slap a drag level of makeup on a 14-year-old. Yeah. I mean, I I guess it's a good thing that they all kind of look (laughs) semi-attractive. Like, that they're all, I mean, there's some uniformity to the kabuki (laughs) nature of this. But with Mr. Parker, they've really put on the eyeliner heavily. You wonder if the person who did the makeup had a theatrical background. Because what he was wearing was certainly what he would wear on the stage oh, yeah. to make sure his eyes pop. Mm-hmm. But it's like, ooh, in those close-ups, you're like, dude, Bosom Buddies is still a few years away. That's your audition. <laughs> um, so um, in this, Mr. Parker is behind his desk. Mrs. Garrett is f- fumbling through and talking about the extra work and, and dropping her notes. And she's all, I do all this extra work. And he says, you know what, Edna? When I think of you, I think of feisty. And, you know, you're asking for a raise. You deserve a raise. You have proven to me that all the things you do, you've earned a raise. You're entitled to a raise. But I don't understand this, why you're being so timid about it. You're Edna Garrett. You're a feisty person. And so she takes her reading glasses off and says, I deserve a raise. I've earned that raise. I'm entitled to that raise. And he says, there she is. That's the feisty one. And she says, so you're going to give me the money? No. (laughs) The budget's already set. The board of directors won't let me spend another penny. It's not going to happen. Too bad. And then she shows him a letter and the reason for her visit. That that morning, just that very morning, she had gotten a letter saying that a company, unspecified, for whom she worked many, many years ago, went bankrupt. And this letter is informing her of such and that, with that, her pension fund now no longer exists. And she says, that was my nest egg. I was going to be an important part of my income when I retire. And now it's gone. So I'm not just asking for money frivolously. I need this money. Wasn't she on that? What was the show that this is a derivative of? The spinoff yeah. from Different Strokes. Different Strokes. Yeah. Do you think it's that? Do you think? Do you think it's the nanny company that she was probably like Molly <laughs> Maids or something? Uh, I believe she was privately employed by the Drummonds. Oh, okay. By Mr. Drummond. Yeah, she wasn't part of like an agency or whatever. And My, I, I think it's just kind of interesting that you would hold on. Well, that would be an interesting yeah. timeline. But she said she worked there many years ago. The, the Drummonds was only three, two and a half years ago. Oh, yeah. That's still too recent. And that wouldn't have had a pension with it. A pension is typically something, a big corporation. For some reason, I, I just always assume that she's like, I don't see her as like the Barbie doll of this universe, meaning Barbie's done a lot of different jobs. Oh, oh, I see. Well, she has. Mrs. Garrett. Oh, you know what? Yes, I, I was hearing this in my room, you guys talking about. Yeah. Go if on. You have, if, if you live in this house and you have not overheard my diatribes on... She is a registered nurse. Yeah. She learned how to fly a plane in season one, so she can fly a a little airplane. Um, We know that she was a maid for the Drummonds, and um, we also know that she runs a suicide hotline with the girls that we never, ever hear of, never speak of, and is never referred to ever again, and and the dietitianing, and she was a den mother as well. So it's like we we know of five different careers that she allegedly has. She or, probably could have been a lifeguard because she's probably C- CPR trained if she's going to well, be as a registered nurse. As a registered nurse, yeah. And um and honestly, to me, the best 
speculation I heard was Ken Reed saying that he always thought that she was like a Julia Child, that maybe in World War II she was actually a spy for the CIA. And oh, okay. That would, I'm like, wow. That uh, and colors her in a whole different way. I love that. See, but I wonder if this episode ruins that theory because what if that company, the CIA company, she's working for, <laughs> goes under? That that's like the government going under. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. The CIA company. The CIA company. Yeah. Well, you know that they uh they uh contract out their work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I see. If it was a contracting thing, I don't know. But um, I'm gonna... well, I mean, contracted work. I mean, isn't that how uh, Fast and Furious got? Got their thing? Uh, but here's the thing. Contract work. As a millennial, Austin, you should understand the gig economy. Yeah, that's true. Contract work means I, I'm i not going to hire you full time and give you benefits to true. do the, the jobs that may or may not come down the pike. I'm just going to contract you to do this one job, pay you a fee. You handle your fucking taxes. You handle your benefits and your health insurance. See, and I've only, I've only been in this world for... <laughs> 20 something years and so i i wouldn't know of a time yeah where they did not yeah uh, or no where, where they would give you and treat you nice yeah in in, in your workspace yeah, you i mean unless you go into a super duper corporate thing and uh, by by nature of your being here you are an artist so true the people who are on this podcast are not typically those people um only the only ones who dabble in that a little bit are the people who are equity members and or full-time employed by a theme park. That's true. Um, but I'm going to go into another little extra deep thing here. I am pretty sure that if I start up the David Almeida Corporation and I decide to give my employees a pension, I don't just keep the money in a shoebox or a safe. And then if my company goes bankrupt, that money is gone. I'm pretty sure the setting up of a pension, because it has to be managed and facilitated in perpetuity yeah. to employees many years down the road after they retire. I'm pretty sure that most pensions and, you know, my fours of listeners, please uh, elucidate me because I could Google it, but I don't feel like it. Um, but I think that pensions, or at least the pensions I am familiar with, they are, that money is handed over to a financial institution. It's taken out of your paycheck and then you, Austin, my employee, I hand that money over to the financial institution. And from this, that point forward, that money, because that's not my money. That's your money. Mm -hmm. So if my company goes bankrupt, I feel like the pension should still should still exist. This is a really good example of having performers and actors talk about money because we don't have a lot of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't have a lot of, as you can see, we don't have a lot of understanding. Yeah. So this scene ends with Mr. Parker saying, my hands are tied, can't do it, sorry. And he says, but hang tough, Edna, you'll come up with something. And we get one of our wonderfully awkward slow fades where Mrs. Garrett says, but what if I don't? Staring off pensively, slow pan, slow, slow zoom, and slow fade where you're like, please call cut. This is just uncomfortable now. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Didn't, I heard you chuckle at that, didn't you? Well, I was like, I don't know. It was. I think it was the fact that it was like a serious moment at the very end of a scene. Yeah. And, and there was this, the idea that they 
on one hand, they want to let the moment breathe. And dramatically, I can't fault them for that. But then there's also that sense of, we're a sitcom and we're being dramatic. Notice how dramatic we're being. So eh, we could have cut a good two to three seconds earlier. Yeah. So then we come back to the cafeteria. And, oh, I wanted to mention, in that whole first scene, all the girls were in their uniforms. We're during the school week right now. Mm -hmm. We've had some weekend shows recently where we've been having street clothes, but we're in full uniform. Like, school school is in right now, bitches. So um, in the cafeteria, the girls are trying to get prepared for dinner, and Blair is still on this capon kick. Yeah, and what is a capon? You don't know what a capon is? No. It's just like a little chicken. Oh. It's foul. It's like a Cornish hen versus a chicken. It's just little. Capons are, they're little. Oh, okay. Little tiny. So that's why they're kind of, and they're expensive. And so they're. Um, it's it's kind of like veal where it's like they're baby chickens. So they're, pro- yeah. they're probably killing them. Yeah. Killing when, baby chickens. Yeah, yeah. When they're babies. Yeah. I also thought it was really funny because Tootie um, says it's helping her navigate a cookbook. Yeah. The difficult. <laughs> The, the difficult task for Blair of looking up something in a cookbook. Continue. And I just think, I thought it was funny because she, she said, Blair, it's it's a, it's a capon, so where are you going to go? And even I was like, yeah, where's she going to go? Because <laughs> <laughs> she went, well, you go to poultry. Yeah, yes. and I was like, oh, I guess it's a bird. And then... Um, oh, so you didn't even know that. Well, Blair <laughs> knows that because she wants to serve, so she should know better. Yeah. And so, um, and then they also ask her, where she would look for stuffing. Uh-huh. And part of me was like, yeah, where would you look for stuffing? And then they say stuffing in the stuffing section. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't see a cookbook having a specific stuffing. I will admit the idea of going from the specific to the general, like what chapter would you look under? Yeah. You'd go to poultry, but stuffing, I thought to myself, where would you? Yeah. I thought it would be in like sides. Yeah. Side dishes or whatever. But here's the thing. There is this wonderful invention that they came up with about 100,000 years ago called an index. And, okay, maybe not 100,000. Maybe, I I don't know when it was, but it was probably the Phoenicians. Thank the Phoenicians. (laughs) Um, So, but there's an, like, if I am looking up something, like, if I want to know how to make brownies... I don't go to the dessert section and start flipping through desserts. Where are the brownies? Where the, it's like, I go to the index and look under B for brownies. It's on page 20. You go to page 20 and there they fucking are. Yeah. Or you can go to the table of contents. It, or, yeah. But the idea is the index is the alphabetical. Table of contents is in the order of what it's presented. Of, what it's, of how it's published. And here's the thing. I'm saying that as a 50-year-old who hasn't been in school for nearly 30 years now. These girls Blair, are in school. You're in fucking school. You read books all the time. This was one of those unfortunate bad writer moments where it's like, okay, I, I Blair just... is Blair is privileged and certainly has lived a sheltered life. But they sometimes let that spill over into her being just a blithering idiot. Uh, oh, did you notice that they said uh, Kentucky Colonel? I, I, that was my next thing I was going to say. Joe in her, uh, Joe in her typical, the fuck, capons, just, just order, just order some fried chicken. So Joe says, ah, just order in some Kentucky Colonel. I like the word Colonel. I don't know why. I, I, I know that they're not talking about a Colonel of corn. Yeah. But, and I don't know how to spell Colonel, believe it or not. I, I always think it's 
I always mix it up with colonial. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's colonel. C O L O N E L. That I do know. And I'm not sure what language I guess is that yeah. French-ish how we why we why we pronounce colonial colonel. I'm not sure, but yeah, interesting how but it's no, one but, thing, but notice how I spelt it. <laughs> what did you put? You put colonial. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, I know it's not wait a minute. I'm gonna look at your notes here. You you just wrote in one big long run on sentence. Well, no, I, I do commas and like slashes. I see some commas and slashes, but your page is full. I'm I am Mr. Bullet List, where I like this happens and this happens and this. We've we've discussed the Myers Briggs. I am I am much more on the J side, and you are. Um, if there was a pometer, you would break it. The, the needle would go off of the damn the Myers Briggs dial, if such a thing could exist. Yep. Um, uh, so, but it is so weird that could they not say Kentucky? Kentucky I get fight? that you can't show it. I get that you can't bring in a bucket of chicken with the stripes and the Kentucky. It was called Kentucky Fried Chicken in those days, by the way. Yeah. Um, that you can't bring it in, but you can't even say it. You can't even say, "Why don't you just order some Kentucky current some Kentucky? Why don't you just order some Kentucky Fried Chicken?" Yeah. That's weird that they, unless, you know what I'll bet it is? I'll bet it's that somebody at the network had a beef with them or was like, no, you're not saying that because they wouldn't put a commercial in the Super Bowl or some shit like that. Uh-huh. It might have been a a ding against the colonel as opposed to, we don't want to pay anybody for the rights. Yeah. Because you can say things. Yeah. And because you can say Disney all you want. Yeah. You can say, you know, I'm going to, you know, what are you doing now? I'm going to Disneyland. You can say, yeah, I don't get it. So the fact that she said, Joe says Kentucky Colonel, very odd, very strange. And um, so Mrs. Garrett, oh, before that. So in the course of the talking, Natalie says, um, well, are we in the kitchen? Yeah. Oh, so okay. yeah, we, they, they are in the kitchen there. We, we start in the cafeteria and then we move into the kitchen. And then they're starting to run around and say, saying how they're making things and there's a roast. And and, and Natalie says, I think the roast is done. And they're like, why do you think the roast is done? She says, I think it smells done. And they say, how does it smell? And she goes, burnt. <laughs> and they do nothing. Yeah, they don't. And, and, then, and, and, and they, and, they and do little, nothing. And then a little later, they that you, you hear the, the timer go off. And they turn off the timer <laughs> and they do nothing. It's like, what the fuck? But anyhow, the, after the burnt roast talk, there is talk of Mrs. Garrett's really been out of it lately. Mm-hmm. And it's like the past couple or three days, whenever we've been asking her to help us, she's not been there. And when she asks them, she's, they're gr- she's grouchy. Yeah. She's been growling at them. Yeah. She's like, I asked, him, I asked her about this and she went, Ugh. And it's like, that's... Some guttural sounds. Yeah. No. That's, uh, we've never heard her make that noise. That doesn't make sense. Then Mrs. Garrett comes running down and she... And she's tired and disheveled. And she took a nap. And she's like, oh, I'm... And both times she apologizes. She says, I'm sorry. Oh, is she Canadian? And uh, she was raised in Milwaukee. Oh. As in Charlotte Ray was raised in Milwaukee. And Mrs. Garrett grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin, which is just, you know, more rural outside the city. Yeah. Um, and she's, oh, I got that. And then in the course of getting things, she's like, Tootie, grab the applesauce. It's in the bottom of the fridge. And Tootie's like, I don't see it. And she's like, it's in the bottom of the, and she's like, I don't see it. And then she runs over and grabs it and slams it in the counter. It's like, can't you, and, and the implication is, can't you fucking do anything? <laughs> Help me. So 
Blair and Joe continue arguing the capons, and then all of a sudden, Mrs. Garrett says, "What? What makes her take the roast out of the oven?" Well, because she's trying to put the biscuits. Oh, that's in. right. I've got to put the biscuits in the oven, and she says, "What? Oh, there's a big." burnt thing in the oven and well why didn't you take it out and why didn't the timer go? and, and well she calls she calls it a log a log and, and and she's right but it's like people when something is burning you can smell it and it wasn't just <laughs> natalie's smell it'd be one thing if natalie went into the other room and looked at it and said it looks like it might be getting a little overdone also who are they cooking for with this huge this huge log of meat it's well, ginormous. Well, it's supposedly for the entire student body of Eastland Academy, which is somewhere between 20 <laughs> and 20,000 teenage okay. girls. We've, we, we've narrowed it down to that. Yeah, we don't know. But, um, oh, and there is talk at the beginning. Where is Mrs. Garrett? We're doing everything, and these girls are going to be here any minute. They're going to be so hungry. They're going to tear us apart. They're not going to be happy if dinner's not ready. They're all talking about this this avalanche of hungry students that's going to be pouring into the cafeteria at any minute um but then mrs garrett gets very upset over this roast and goddamn right she should be number one she should have smelt it herself number two why didn't the girls take it out she she already said it does it it there is no justification for how that does not make any sense in any angle or way you could look at it Terrible writing. Do you think the roast would come out of her pocket or the school's budget? Uh, the school's. I mean, come on. Because I was gonna. I was like, that's that's a lot of me. And that was. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the main course was going to. They were. They were going to be having. <laughs> I think they're going to be having frozen biscuits that night for dinner. Yeah. Biscuits and gravy. Um, but that's not really addressed because Mrs. Garrett finally has a little bit of a meltdown. And and this meltdown is precipitated by the girl saying, well, pfft, you know, that Joe says that big log looks like the tire you could have helped me get, but the sale is over because you wouldn't drive me into town the other day. And Blair is all capons, capons. And um, finally, somebody, I think it's Nellie, says, yeah, let's face it, Mrs. Garrett, you haven't been there. You've really been letting us down. Read the room, girls, read the room. Mrs. Garrett has just woken up from a nap. She's clearly discombobulated. There's clearly something going on here. And even you four, whom she does call out and say, you are being so selfish and self-centered. Do you have any sentence that comes out of your mouth that doesn't have I in it? It's not about you. When you leave the room, the world keeps turning. Like she lets them have it. And it's like, yes. Because how they're written this week, the girls are being horrible. Yeah. Terrible. And this, I, and I feel like this is where I was chosen for this particular episode because I, too, am, am a horrible person. And self-centered. Self-centered. That's what I was, yeah. Hmm. Not self-centered. That's the words I was. So uh, we end the act of this with Mrs. Garrett's meltdown. And the last thing she says is... Uh, you think you're the only one that has problems. Well, other people have problems too, and I have problems, and I can't take... You're going to have to learn to take care of yourselves because I can't do it anymore. I just can't. And she storms back up the stairs, and then shitty clap track. It's like, God damn. Was that, was that dramatic 
like paragraph that she just got done saying deserved of a clap? Well, clearly no, because the audience didn't applaud. They dubbed that in later, and we know it because that is the that is the canned clap track that we've heard a kabillion times before. They open up a can of clap track of, of whoop clap on them. Whoop, yeah. So that's where the the act ends, and then um, yeah. So now we're into commercial, and the commercial is always the getting to know you section. So. Um, Austin, I, I know you fairly well, and I know a lot about you. Um, to introduce you to the world at large, let's, let's do this. Picture it. Winter Garden, Florida, 2013. Uh, rehearsals start for a little show called Dirty Rotten Scoundrels at the Garden Theater. That was where I and my friend Wesley, whom I had met previously the year before in Sunday in the Park with George, were playing Lawrence and, um... Freddie in the show, and among the very talented Coreens, one young little dancer boy <laughs> named Austin. You were but an ovum back then. Yeah. Yep. You were, uh, you were in the chorus. That's how we met. You were one of the, the dancers in the show. And that was actually my first outside of college community show. Ooh. So let us, uh, let us leave us turn back the clock. Very, very little, these mere 26 years. Austin Paz, where were you born? So I was born in uh, Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Mm-hmm. My mom is in the Air Force. And, and Fort Walton Beach is in what area of the state to help people? Fort Walton Beach is up in the Panhandle near um, Pensacola. Mm-hmm. A little bit uh, in the middle of Pensacola and Tallahassee. Uh-huh. So, but I was born on an Air Force base. At least that's what I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and on, on the day you were born, that's day all that you remember? And um, clearly you weren't paying attention. Yeah. And apparently we were there for about a year. And then we moved down to Fort Myers, Florida, which is in the southern part of the state um, where I grew up in the world's largest trailer park. I don't know if you know that. Did you? Yeah, it's called. That explains a lot. It explains everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I grew up uh, there. I went to school. And um, before we do that Fort Myers if we are leaving Orlando we are heading south west, west yes. and it is how how far out of the uh, from Orlando so it's 3 and a, it's 3 hours if you're driving nice mm-hmm. um 3 hours <laughs> nice. <laughs> so tell me what brought you to Orlando i know you were a student and you studied theater at Valencia College yeah. here in Orlando but what what brought you here love no just kidding uh, um <laughs> <laughs> you you are incapable of feeling love yeah. we know that <laughs> not anymore Continue. <laughs> what uh uh-huh. um so i graduated high school in 2011 shut up um and i was like i really like film and i used to be doing i used to do a lot of um videos and things like that in my film program at school Mm -hmm. and fun fact my videos are still shown in my school as examples of what to follow oh for i don't know if you know how good i am Uh, apparently not (laughs) but um so our videos were really good and i really wanted to get into film as either like directing acting or what have you making films Mm-hmm. So I came up to Valencia because I couldn't get into UCF mm-hmm. and all my friends were getting into UCF. So I was like, I don't want to look like a failure. And <laughs> <laughs> I got into Valencia College, which I moved up here and I was going to start doing the film program, but you needed to have a lot of prerequisites. Mm-hmm. But 
I ended up taking, I was like, oh, I might, I might not take a couple little theater classes mm-hmm. <laughs> on the side because you also needed theater classes to get into the film program. As you should, yes. And I ended up falling in love with theater again. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this seems a little more, this seems more immediate. Yeah. <laughs> Getting this degree. Um, and, and you got your degree. And your... I did, but it did take me a little bit because I was a bad student. <laughs> and uh, since that time, you have been a performer at the theme parks, at various theme parks. You have also more recently been doing a lot of modeling, body paint work, and burlesque under your alter ego, Coyote Caliente. Yeah. Um, so I started, and it's actually, it's a real, it's <laughs> this, uh, this life that I've got into was, was a very slippery slope. I did not expect to be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I started doing theater that was, uh, I, you know, a little bit of nude here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, so some, adult, some adult theater. And then, what is it? Somebody asked me if I wanted to be a Naked Boy singing. And I went up to Montreal. Um, so I did that. And because of that, and because of other people saying, hey, you should get into Nude Night. I didn't know what it was. But one year I ended up getting a spot as a model for Nix Herrera, who was on Naked Vegas at the TV show. Oh. And also Face Off. And he's an Orlando celebrity. Yeah. But um, I said, and uh, I'll just interject. Nude Night is an annual event that they have in Orlando. It's and it's it's the world's largest, uh, uh, the America's largest. I don't know if it's world's, but it's America's largest nude art exhibition mm-hmm. where it, it encases um, nude uh, modeling like body paint or photography, oil paintings, um, sculpture, ins- sculptures, installations, yeah, any of that. Yeah, it's a it is a all encompassing celebration art. of the body. It's an all encompassing art exhibit, but yeah. it is all based on celebrating the body and the nude figure and all that. And that includes live people who are there nude but with body paint on in different things and um so you've you've hope you've never been a modest person this was a very you know natural transition for actually, you actually you know what i i've actually have been a modest person but i just have a lot of confidence and i i get it's sometimes positive sometimes negative reviews from certain people <laughs> um that haters back off yeah i just um i'm a very interesting case where i just i don't know i just they told you to love yourself as a kid, and I, I, I took that advice, and I just ran. I sprinted with it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I haven't you, stopped. You, you want to know why? Why? I'm so good-looking. Millennial. Um, there's so many times where people come up and they say, I could never do that. I, like, I, don't, have oh, the, yeah. I don't have the body for it. I don't have the, the skills. I don't know. I don't have that. And I'm like, well, you have the body for it. Just know that body paint is for your body. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning it's anybody's body that you can paint. Yeah. Um, and you see all shapes and sizes at this. Oh, yeah. You, you happen to have a sort of lean swimmer's build kind of a thing going on. As I'm getting painted, as things are being applied to my skin or my body, or um, there was one time where I was a fly, and it wasn't until I put the mask on that yeah. completely covered my face <laughs> that that's when I turned into the actual character and that's what I imagine is the appeal that you would want me as a model mm-hmm. and as a performer because as opposed to some people who just stand there and just model the paint, I kind of internalize it and make it a character and make it 
part of me. Yeah. Well, um, you, as as an actor with an acting background, you bring a theatricality and an element of performance yeah. that you might not get from a person who has just walked down a runway and now tonight, oh, you're paying me to just, you know, okay, I'll stand here naked and you can paint me, sure. Yeah. It's, it's you know, you're, you've got a little more going on there. Yeah. I have, and, I have and, more depth. You have depth. <laughs> and, um, and the other thing I was going to say is there's also a collaborative component to this because you work with these body paint artists and you and they collaborate on what would look best on ideas you bring ideas to uh, is it your your main collaborator is Amanda Johnson of Chevy Johnson Art I believe yes and she I will post a link to some of her stuff and uh, I've done some graphic design for her um, but you you come to her with ideas just as she comes to you with ideas <laughs> and together you evolve them as she's doing the painting yeah and i think that's i think that's a really good way of working with an artist because she believes that if her model isn't happy her art isn't happy yeah because they won't be comfortable they won't feel they won't feel confident or whatever they need to be feeling in the art that they're in and honestly i have never known you when you weren't a person who wears as little clothing as he possibly can. You are sitting here right now shirtless, and that's not uncommon. Typically, no. that's how you hang out around the house. Yeah. Is just with step-in shorts or whatever. I encourage people to look at your Instagram. I know you're always looking for followers. You are Coyote Caliente. Well, yeah, Coyote Caliente. I'm the only one so far. And I'm always looking for um, fun art opportunities and any anything that anybody wants to work on. Will I'm, travel. Yeah, I will travel if you uh -huh. pay me, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and um, you know, just trying to get my name out there, trying to get the trying to get the the market for uh, a lonely coyote that needs work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before we move on and get back out of our commercial, uh, that may be a little bit on hold for the next year because you are about to go out on the road with Jurassic World live as a performer puppeteer. It's like a big fucking deal. Yeah. This is a year contract on the road with a major arena show. I think it's really rewarding because if you know me as a person, you know that I'm very interested in dinosaurs. I've, I wear a dinosaur necklace. I have dinosaur belt buckle. I have He's obsessed dinosaurs people. literally everywhere in my room. His room looks like the room of a 10-year-old with a little more money at his disposal. Yeah. I was able to land this gig and I'm very thankful and... Who knew that you could grow up to be a dinosaur as a kid, you know? Yeah. You know, looking back and telling yourself as a kid, like, hey, you know, one day you're going to be a, you're going to be a dinosaur. And yeah. I, I think I would be being as obsessed as, as what I am. I probably wouldn't, I probably would be like, you know what? I don't think that's too far fetched. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you have a picture of yourself as a little boy in a dinosaur costume yeah. that you take to your auditions. Me in the Spinosaurus Jurassic Park 3 costume. Is that what that was? Yeah. It's really thrilling, and we're all really, really proud of you. It's, it's a super amazing, crazy cool opportunity. Yeah. So uh, that's why we're doing this now. I'm like, oh, I need to get Austin now because he's not going to be around for yeah. a little while. Get me while I'm gone. The Austin Paz story. Yep. So let us return now to the facts of life. Uh, we come in on the cafeteria. We fade back in from commercial. And it is clearly immediately following Mrs. Garrett's meltdown. And all of them are like, whoa, Jesus, what the fuck, man? Mrs. Garrett's really upset. What is that about? Now, please note that 
Suddenly, this urgency with, the girls are going to be here, and they're going to be knocking us over looking for food. The urgency that existed in the previous scene before the commercial no longer exists. And we have the added element of, ain't no fucking main dish. That roast is ruined. Which I kind of felt like these whole the whole episode, I just... I because there, there wasn't any other girls, it was almost kind of like a waiting for girl dough. <laughs> because they waiting for girl dough. Yeah, because they never come. Because... That is a play that someone needs to write, where it's just the girls actually... making food in a cafeteria for the the people who never show up. Yeah. Um, so all of them are still kind of like the the lack of empathy is still astounding at this point where Joe and Blair and Natalie are like, Jesus, she bit our fucking head off. What the hell is that about? Yeah, Damn, they, that's they, not her. they at least acknowledge that they found out that she was angry at something. They just yeah, don't know what. It's like, wow, who knew she had feelings? And then finally Tootie says, maybe she's sick. Tootie, thank God, is the first one who steps in and they're like, no, no, she's not sick or whatever. And before they have a chance to really ruminate on that mrs garrett comes back in and says girls i apologize that is your mrs garrett yeah nice so she apologized for blowing up i'm sorry i blew up at you earlier and they went well yeah we know you didn't mean all those terrible things you said to us and she says oh no i meant every word i'm just sorry i blew up at you and she says i've been cranky i've been irritable and i've been tired and then she finally comes clean i've been working as the night manager for the howard johnsons for the last three nights apparently so this is a brand new job and she just says out on the highway this is i think that nebulous highway uh, that the Chuggalug is near. So I imagine that the Howard Johnson's is the restaurant where Mrs. Garrett is managing, and it would be adjacent to a Howard Johnson's motor lodge where you would go with somebody you met at the Chuggalug, which would be just right down the way, maybe adjoining parking lots. That's how I imagine Peekskill anyway. Well, I can dream. Um, so she is... So she comes clean and says, that's it. I've been working two jobs, and that's why I'm shirking my responsibilities, and that's why I've been tired. And the girls are like, oh, well, you know, hopefully you'll get your situation fixed, and uh, and you'll be able to give up that job. And she says, or oh, this one. Or this one. Uh, and there is a talking of, I can't, I know I can't keep it up, she says. So, um... She's, oh, and that she's taxing herself. Um, she's taxing herself too much. Yeah. Nat- yes. Natalie says that to her. And the scene ends with um, she is about to go into the whole thing about her retirement, but she doesn't. She stops short of that and just says, I don't even know why she leaves the room, but it could have, should have been. So this avalanche of girls are coming. We need to get back and start carving the burnt roast and see if we can salvage any of it. Um, but no. Was um, this scene that um, Blair also calls Joe ugly because Mrs. Garrett is saying she's not getting enough sleep. And then Joe comes in and says, she's like, Oh, I understand. I'm very spacey when I don't get, when I don't get my Z's. Yeah. And then Blair's like, she's like, I think you mean you're just downright ugly. <laughs> Probably. I think that was in the scene before the commercial. You think so? 
Because I have it right here. Oh, maybe it is. I mean, you could be right. You could be totally right. Yeah. Yeah. Scenes where Blair basically <laughs> looks Joe in the face and says, you are ugly, are sadly plentiful in the series. Yeah. Even though they're frenemies. Even though they are actually friends more than frenemies. It's... I yeah. understand how Joe feels because a lot of my friends tell me that I'm ugly, but mm-hmm. I'm not so much my, my features, but just me as a person on the inside. <laughs> yeah, not on the outside, but on the inside. It's just rotten. Yeah. Putrid beef is what I normally hashtag it as. <laughs> so the zine ends with Blair or somebody saying, well, maybe we can help. Maybe we need to do something and chip in and try to help make her life a little bit easier. So the next morning. Well, they also say that... Um, uh, she can't just leave when they they want to chain her to the desk. Like, what, yeah. are, what, what are we going to do to keep her to stay? We're going to chain her to a desk. That's right. To, in order to prevent her from leaving, we need to do something and help chip in and make it easier. And it's kind of like, yeah, you mean like taking a roast out of the oven when it's obvious it's burning? Like, I, I don't get it. The only thing I can say about this episode is we do have real food. So then we go to the next morning. And we're back in the kitchen, and the girls are working like a finely oiled machine. It's like, hey, I got the juice. I'm doing it great. Ready to scramble the eggs? Terrific. Joe, she says, Joe, you handle the bacon. You're good with grease. That was I thought that was a pretty good one. And uh, I've got the oatmeal ready. Already sectioning the grapefruits, putting the cherries in the middle. They are like, and then when they say, who knew we could work so well together? And Natalie... We, we often say, we throw in those Jewish mother references. Natalie, my mother would be in shock. That's all she says. There's no other reference. And I'm not really sure where that comes from. The thing is, they're like, yeah, but this is hard work. At the same time, Joe is like, yeah, it's great. We're working together and getting along so well. How long are we going to have to keep this shit up? <laughs> so Joe is clearly, they're all clearly, okay, this is really great, but this is an awful lot of extra effort on our part and we hope this is not a permanent solution so then Mrs. you also giggled at the part where blair said that she was stirring the oatmeal so hard that she she's already lost two fingernails in in the oatmeal in the oatmeal i giggled at that but just because it's gross <laughs> but the other thing is how do you lose two fingernails? Blair, do you have Lee press on nail? You are 17. You have your own fingernails. If your fingernails are falling out, unless you're Jeff Goldblum in the fly or a leper, it's like uh, losing. I lost an, you know, it's one thing to say I broke a nail, but to lose a fingernail. In- that was a pretty good reference. Jeff yeah. Goldblum in the fly. You're welcome. Nerds. Um, so then Mrs. Garrett comes down again. Oh, I overslept again. And oh, wait, I need to get the, the bacon started. Already taken care of. Well, I better put the oatmeal on. Nope, we got it. Well, the, what about the grapefruit? And Natalie's like, got them done, got them sectioned, cherries in the middle, just like you like them. And Mrs. Garrett looks around at the girls and is like, you got it all taken care of. You did everything. (laughs) And she bursts into tears and goes out into the cafeteria, into the dining room. And the girls are like, well, what the fuck now? So the girls, once again, are kind of shitty to Mrs. Garrett, where she's crying and they're like, Oh, don't cry, Mrs. Garrett. We know we're fabulous. We know we helped you out. We know you're happy because we took care of everything. And she's crying and she says, no, I'm not crying because that I'm crying because I need to leave. 
And no sooner does she say that, Mr. Parker walks in. Mrs. Garrett, what is this? And it's a colorful piece of paper. And she says, it's a kitty menu from the Howard Johnsons. He's like, I'm not asking what is this that's written on it. She says, it's my resignation letter. And he says to her, but Mrs. Garrett, you can't quit. Think of all the alumni dinners that you do, all the class picnics. And then the girls join in, shittily, I will add, with, yeah, Mrs. Garrett, you can't leave because we worked really hard to make this one meal easier for you. Blair is like, I didn't set my hair. And Joe is like, I let Blair tell me what to do. Natalie's like, I section grapefruits. And Mrs. Garrett commendably says, girls, we are right back to square one. And, and she's right. She's like, <laughs> you wanted to say, this late in the episode, are you still being this shitty to me? And um, she says, finally, she's going to have to quit because she can't keep up working two jobs. And the other job is going to be make uh, is going to be paying her four hundred dollars more a month uh, to work there as opposed to at this other job. And and that's a lot of money. I, yeah, I was like, it's like and nowadays, if you had a job that paid you four hundred dollars more a month and a which, Howard Johnson's is like a, a restaurant. It's yeah, it's a restaurant. And I don't know what restaurant you're working at that you're making. It's yeah, it's like a Denny's or a. And it was really funny during this particular part where she starts talking about the money difference. Yeah, um, was when I started because of this whole episode before this, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Like, there really isn't anything too interesting to talk about for me. And then it wasn't until the very end at this point where I was like, oh, talk about money. I'm pulling it up on my phone right here about translating the money. Four hundred dollars in nineteen eighty one translates to eleven hundred and twenty four dollars and fifty two cents. That's a lot of money right now per month. So divide that by uh, twelve months, forty hours a week divided by four weeks. That is the equivalent of nowadays of me saying, Austin, I'm going to give you a job that pays $7 an hour more. That's a lot of money to manage. I mean, I guess managing a restaurant, maybe she's, maybe she is paid very little. And yeah, in in my, in my opinion, I, I would imagine working with children in this, in this capacity where your, your life is taking care of them. I, I would imagine that's, you get paid more way more money than being a manager at a restaurant well at a private school they'd be able to budget for someone quality and make sure there's you know that they're they are an official nutritionist as she allegedly is but the only thing is she does have um she does have room and board you assume she eats the food at the school and she lives there so part of what she makes covers her rent unless I, i don't imagine she pays or that's taken out of her salary but that is something one takes into consideration when one is considering a job change, what the benefits are. Um, but yeah, so she starts um, saying that it pays her more money a month and that she's going to have to leave this job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the girl's Blair says, well, well, she explains that she had a nest egg and it's not there anymore. And, if she, you know, when she yeah. gets, when she gets older. Yes. Um, she's going to need to fall back on something. Otherwise, mm-hmm. she dramatically says that she's going to be living on a park bench. Mm-hmm. Or eating dog food. Blair tries to temporarily 
solve the problem and say, oh, I've got a place. And basically it's like servants quarters, a place where we have some people who work for us who live. We can, I can put you up type of thing. And Mrs. Garrett says smartly, no, I am not going to live. I've always been independent my whole life and I'm not going to live off of anyone. She takes the apron off. I think Tootie hugs her and says, Mrs. Garrett, I don't want you to eat dog food. So the girls are like, you know what? That is a lot of money. And we can't fight with that. That's the thing. So it's like, come on, Mrs. G, we're going to help you. I'll help you. I'll go get the paper. We're going to go look for apartments. So the, the deus ex machina of this episode, the big solving of the problem, we're, we're minutes away from the end of this episode here. Mr. Parker says, Mrs. Garrett, you cannot leave and you are not going to leave. And one of the girls says, I think it's Natalie, says, don't you think you're being selfish? And we are experts. And I'm so happy they said that. Didn't make up for all the shittiness of the girls in this episode, but at least there was some degree of self-awareness there. And um, <laughs> Joe just looks at him and Joe goes into Bronx mode. And she's like, yeah. And are you going to give her a hard time about it? Like she's defending Mrs. Garrett now. And he says to her, Mrs. Garrett, there's all this talk in the board meetings about Eastland being a family. Well... I'm going to tell the board they need to put their money where their mouth is or there are going to be two resignations on their desk. And Mrs. Garrett says, you would do that? And he says, just watch me. And she says, Mr. Parker, that's showing such, such feist. And it's a callback to when he said he considers her to be so feisty. Well, he didn't say feisty. He actually said, okay, if you're going to ask for this, show me some feist. That's right. Show me some feist. And so she says in return, that really shows feist. You're right. And he says, well, maybe it's contagious. He says, uh, well, if you excuse me, I've got a few phone calls I need to make. And as he leaves, the final line of the episode is Joe says, oh, and uh, if you have any trouble convincing him, I know a couple of people who could maybe help you out, you know, for a fee. And he just walks away, kind of scratching his head. And then it's that rejoice, no dialogue, all just space work of, oh, you're staying, Mrs. Garrett, sit down. We're going to wait on you. And now we're taking care of you and everything is okay. And we're not shitty people anymore. And the audience is applauding so loudly. And... Not one of the best episodes. Well, I thought what what I thought was very interesting is that not once in this episode um, did I see a person with a leather jacket with finger guns hit a hit a jukebox, and I was <laughs> no. waiting for him the entire episode. So, I'm, I, is that a secondary character You're in like, the show? Hey, where is that? Yeah, that must yes. have, that must be a secondary character. Yeah, that will we'll we'll talk more later about that. Yeah, about that character. What was interesting about this particular part of the episode is when I started to get kind of cynical. I think if a job were to say, if you were to go to your employer and say, "Hey, I'm quitting," if you can't help her, I think the employer would say, "Okay." Bye. <laughs> yeah. There's, I think uh, there's, there's, there's no such thing as job security anymore. So yeah, there was definitely more pull with that. And I mean, he hasn't been the headmaster that long. He's only been here since last season. He's, he's fairly new. And, um, so, oh no, he's only been there since, since this season. He hasn't been there that long. He's only been there a few months. So I wonder if this is like a defense against the dark arts where in each season there's a new headmaster. I, I wish. 
I wish. I feel was, like that I would make it, it more that, interesting. That would be more interesting. I wish it was that more calculated and planned out and logically thought of, which it's not. Um, I want to point out one final thing before we go of the many problems with this episode that we have. Mrs. Garrett says explicitly, I've been independent my whole life and I'm not going to live off of anyone. And she talks about living in a park bench or eating dog food. It's like, you have two sons. I didn't know that. We have one son that we know is, she at one point was supporting him. She at one point was able to write him a check every single month and help support him. And she had just recently... Um, she had just recently stopped that kind of a tough love situation last at the end of last season where she was like, you know what? I can't, I need you to be self-sufficient. And I've been being a bad mother by supporting you. So we know that she had this recent extra influx of cash from the money. She's not sending Alex anymore. Um, we have only talked about there being multiple sons. So we have not yet met the second son, we will not meet him for another year and a half. And that son is Raymond. Raymond, at the beginning of season five. And everybody loves him. <laughs> nice. Raymond buys the building into which she moves and operates Edna's Edibles. The idea of your retirement not being secure, not that any parent would want to do it. But the idea is, wouldn't you at least, well, no, in those days, they didn't involve their kids. Parents didn't share this shit with their kids. But the idea is, there was a time as people aged, they moved in with their kids and their kids took care of them. And I feel like that's also a very ethnic thing as well. Yeah. <laughs> very Italian-American, Latin-American. Uh, yeah. Not so much a white people from Wisconsin thing. Yeah. But the fact is, it does exist. And... At some point, a conversation needs to have happened between her and her son saying, this is happening, and now my retirement isn't as secure. Clearly, Alex is not anybody she could depend on, but we haven't really fleshed out who Raymond is yet, but we will learn down the road, girl, what are you so worried about? I think what this episode was trying to do that it failed miserably at is the quote-unquote issue. The issue is... Who cares for our elderly? Presumably, she would have Social Security coming to her when she retires. Right now, she's 55 years old. So her retirement is still 10 years away. She still has 10 years in the workforce, health permitting, before she would start drawing her, her Social Security. Back in those days, it was more. She probably would have had a more livable income from Social Security. That's getting lesser and lesser as we all get older. But... um. Which is another reason why I had a hard time sympathizing with, cause like another topic that I've always, I don't think about is I'm like, I know I'm going to get older. Mm -hmm. And at this point right now, I'm like, I don't, people are like, you should have a plan. You should have a plan. At, like when you're like 18, you oh, know, and no, I, you shouldn't fuck that. <laughs> or like, you know, when you're young, they're like, we'll start saving now. And part of me is like, I don't have any anything saved or anything like ready to go and like yeah. for anything and it's like it's so the idea of when I get older mm -hmm. what's going to happen I don't think with my generation 
it's going to be pretty good for the elderly. No. <laughs> because we're literally just going to be like, well, I guess I'll just die. Like, I, I'm going <laughs> to well, work until I die. You're going to be the ones moving in with your kids or your parents. Maybe that'll become a new thing as far as multi, multi-generational households might be back on the rise due to financial reasons. Mm-hmm. That could be a thing. But this show, in if, if that's what it was trying to touch on was how, how do the elderly take care of themselves type of a thing? How does someone with retirement sooner as opposed to later down the pike and the money worries of the elderly, oof, this is not really a great episode. And, and the fact that that meeting with Mr. Parker was literally the same day she got the letter. She says, I got this letter this morning. It's like, you know, that was very fresh. You, if you think you're in a crisis, and Mrs. Garrett's pretty new age. She's pretty open and communicative. That's, that's the nature of her character. I believe she would have called her kids and said, okay, I'm in a situation. And just FYI, I'm probably going to be looking for another job and seeing if I can make some more money because my retirement is less secure now. Oh, okay, great, mom. Well, let me know if you need any help. Bye. Yeah, she, they made her seem very emotionally driven as opposed to practical, which you would think being her, she's a practical woman. You would think there would have been some level of practicality. And I mean, you could say asking for a raise, that's a good place to start where you are. Do you need more money? Go to your own boss. Ask and see if there's a raise, if there's any way, or if you can work harder or put in more hours or something. That's certainly, Susie Orman would tell you to do that. And Susie Orman would also tell you, yes, in your 20s, start saving, because the longer you accumulate your interest and reinvest dividends from investments and things like that, if you start in your 20s, it will take you so much farther than if you start when you're 40. It's. I think it's really funny when like people older than you ask me what it's like mm-hmm. and them saying well you don't have anything saved you're not saving what are you doing and it's just like i have like seven jobs <laughs> what do you yeah. mean i'm just trying to get by what are you talking about it's yeah it's hard and here's the thing there were every generation has young people who don't provide for the future every gender that's that's existed since the beginning we were not always that it's just that right now due to the economy that was handed to you guys who are now in your 20s and coming up, uh, not just the economy, but because there is no oversight and no accountability for that, corporations, in even, even the big companies where once you could get a job, work your life there, and then have a retirement pension and stocks and your social security waiting for you when you retire, nowadays, among other things, over time, costs of living have gone up and salaries have not matched it at all. So anyone who thinks that a 26-year-old who has no life savings is an oddity, they are so... Whew. We're out there. Yeah. And there's, a <laughs> lot, and there's a lot more of you than ever before by no fault of your own. It's by a fault of your circumstance. Mm-hmm. And, um, but don't pity us. So Austin, this has been fun. We finally got to do this. Yay. And, uh, thank you for coming over. It was really nice having you here. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I just haven't been in the area. You know your way, you know how to get home. Can I, 
You, yes. You got, got the map app on your, on yeah. your phone there. Okay. Well, Austin, I hope this is not the last time you're on the show, but you are going to be journeying away for a while. So whenever you are back, it may be a little farther down the road. But thank you so much for doing this. And I encourage everyone to go to your Facebook or your Instagram, look for Coyote Caliente, and you can see all of your body paint and uh, other uh, adventures, performance art, etc. Yeah. Involved with you. So thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. Get out. You have to leave now. Okay. Go. And there you have it. That was Austin Paz, my roommate, my friend, my child, my parent, my teacher, my pupil, my sister, my mother, my goodness, what the fuck am I doing? Okay, shut up. Um, we talked about Austin's performance art and the body paint modeling, the acting, dancing, etc. We didn't even touch on the fact that one of his additional jobs is he's an educator at the Orlando Science Center, shaping the minds of the future. Be afraid. And every week, he's one of the regulars on the Out Loud Orlando Homo Happy Hour radio show which broadcasts on WPRK in Winter Park every Tuesday at 4 o'clock p.m. You can still catch him on the show before he's gone. And that is found at outloudorlandolive.com. And I'll post the links in the show notes and on the website. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 3, Episode 7, Sweet Sorrow. And my special guest is going to be actor, director, producer, writer, Bob Brandenburg. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>